can I ask you this? Uh, happy Father's Day, by the way. Um, can I ask how many uh, how many dads are in the house here? Can I ask that? Look, a lot of you guys. Great. Hey, we're glad you're here. We really are. Um, I, I I love being a dad. I, I do. You know, many of you know my wife and I waited 10 years to have our first child. And so being a dad is a big deal. Today's a special day. Um, but I, I, I love so much about parenting. I love the fact that my kids ask me things that are completely unreasonable. Um, like yesterday, my daughter it was three o'clock in the afternoon and my daughter said, Poppy, uh, can you make the sun go down or make the sun go to sleep so that I can use my flashlight? And, uh, you know, I just I love that. Um, there's an old saying uh, about dads, uh, that dads are people that look into their wallet and see pictures where money used to be. And so it's uh, you know, uh, I don't know if you know this. I was reading an article this week and I found out this, this is such an interesting stat that um, Mother's Day actually gets the highest volume of calls. The phone company says the most calls that are made on any day of the year. And this includes Christmas, you know, um, the most calls are made on Mother's Day. Uh, the phone company also said that on Father's Day, the, uh, Mother's Day has the highest volume of calls. Father's Day has the highest volume of collect calls. So I, I don't really know what to say about that. But uh, my wife and I were in a restaurant a couple weeks ago, and uh, it was a little later than normal that we, we, we go out. But uh, my kids were kind of, you know, coming unglued, I guess would be the term, because uh, it was a bit late. And so... Uh, and, you know, it's like if you're a dad, you're a parent, you know, that, that it's like there's, the, your kids are coming unglued and people are looking at you like, you know, do something. And, and you're looking back at them like, I got nothing. You know, this is just, this is what this is. This is it. Uh, well, a guy turns turns around, uh, you know, we're in a booth. And so the guy in the next booth, he turns around. And he says, hey, are those your two kids? And so I, I thought for a minute and uh, and I said, yeah, yeah, they're they're mine. And he said, you know, my wife and I would give anything to have two kids. And uh, I said, oh, really? I said, you guys don't have any kids? He says, no, we actually have five kids, but we'd do anything to have two kids. Um, so, uh, <laughs> but man, I, if you're a parent, you know this, that people tell you that, like, boy, those kids are growing up. And man, it's so true. Uh, you know, people say like, uh, oh, you know, it's, it, it seems like you were just born yesterday. But like with my son, I really feel like, I feel like he was born like last weekend. And uh, he, he's going to, on Tuesday, he's going to be 11 months old. And uh, he's standing up, you know, he's almost ready to walk. And uh, he's very excited about walking because I know he's looking to escape from his sister and the stuff that his sister makes him do. And um, so uh, my daughter is, is three and a half. And, uh, man, she's growing up so fast. We went uh, on Friday. We had like this little family outing. Friday's my day off. And so we had this uh, family outing. Uh, we went to see Toy Story 3. And uh, and by the end, you know, my daughter's clapping because it's a good movie. And then at the end of the movie, you know, it's like, kids going away to college and, and I, I'm like, I'm crying all over myself, you know, holding my daughter, you know, because I'm thinking, you know, you don't even think you're going anywhere for college. Uh, and, and uh, but it was just like the weirdest thing. You know, I never thought that Buzz Lightyear would make me cry, but he did. Um, and uh, and but yesterday, my that was Friday. We went to the movie yesterday. My daughter says to us, you know, someday my toys will go away when I go to college. And uh, and I'm like, you know, and I'm thinking like that was the worst thing you could say. And um and we're getting ready for dinner, right? And my son is going through this whole thing where he doesn't want to eat baby food anymore. All he wants to eat is meat. Uh, I don't really know where he gets that from, a uh, vegetarian like me. Uh, but anyway, so he decides that all he wants to eat is meat. So we're taking like this little steak and cutting it up real, real, real small for him because he's only got like eight teeth. So he's putting them all to good use. And uh, so I'm out there and I'm just thinking about all this stuff. I'm out cooking the steaks. And I'm like, you know, we're, we're a four steak family, you know, and, and, and soon one of those little steaks is going to go off to college and. Then that other little steak is going to go to college. And then there's going to be two two steaks, 
by themselves. And I'm telling you, I got so sad uh, and I'm like weeping and all this. I will tell you this, though, the tears provided like a nice salty flavor on the steaks. Um, it was really good. Uh, so but but here's the thing, you know, like you, you have moments like that and you start re, you, you start remembering like the things that matter most. And, um, you know, it, it, what it causes me to do is when my daughter wants me to pick her up, it causes me to pick her up that much that much faster because I know there's coming a time when she's not going to want me to pick her up anymore. And, uh, you know, when she wants to play uh, hide and seek or play tag or some other game that she's just made up on her own, uh, you know, it makes me want to play because someday she's going to be she's going to be too big for that stuff. And and, um, you know, we, we all we've all had moments in life, whether it's like that or very, very different, that cause us to think differently. They cause us to think differently about situations, differently about a person or, or people. They cause us to think differently about life. And what it is, is that it's usually some event, some information, some experience that forces us to rethink everything that we thought in the past and formulate a new conclusion. And that new conclusion begins to change us. And that happens. It happens with places we go, people we meet, the way we treat people, all of that. And, and here's the thing that's amazing. It happens with God as well. And, you know, many, so many of you here um, had very, very different ideas about who God is and how God works and all that. And then you came here to Calvary and you started hearing God's word taught and you started reading the Bible on your own. You know what you found is that you found that this place became like a a, a rethink catalyst in your life to start to see God in in a different way. And that's why, um, as, as you heard Maria talk about and as you heard from a saw from the bumper, is that we're we're beginning a brand new series of teachings. Uh, that's called Rethink, and we're working our way verse by verse through uh, the book uh, of Ephesians. And, and, the, and just so you know, the big idea for us, the big idea in this series is that when you change your thinking, your life begins to change. And that's not that actions don't matter. And if, and if you know me at all, you know that I think actions matter a great deal. But here's the thing that's so important. The thing that's important for us to note is that no one changes their actions until they started changing their thinking. Something happens that causes them, that causes us to start thinking differently. And then when our thinking starts to change, our actions begin to change as well. And so we're going to begin and we're going to explore and spend most of the summer exploring one of the most important books in the New Testament, the book of Ephesians. And so what I want to do is give you some background in the book and on the city of Ephesus so that we can hit the ground running as we start this book. So I want to invite you to take your notes out, take your pen out, take your Bibles out, open with me to Ephesians chapter 1. But here's what I want to tell you about the city of Ephesus, is that Ephesus was a lot like Miami. Um, it was a big metropolitan city, lots and lots of different people. Um, it was a city, one of the largest cities in, its, in the area there in the ancient world. It was a city of over 300,000, some say over 350,000 people. It was very diverse. It was very wealthy. Um, it was a tourist city. Uh, one of the reasons is because one of the seven wonders of the ancient world was in the city of Ephesus. Um, the, uh, it was the, 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 the seven wonders was the temple to the goddess Diana. And, um, this temple was over 100,000 square feet. So you can imagine this giant stone temple in the middle of the city. It became the centerpiece of the city. And so not all, because of the, the, the temple being the centerpiece of the city, Ephesus became a very religious city. They worshiped Diana, who was the goddess of fertility, the goddess of sex. And, uh, because sex was part of the worship in that temple. Prostitution was rampant throughout uh, this, this city. And so, that, so imagine all of this happening. And then in 53 AD, the Apostle Paul sets foot in, Eph- in the city of Ephesus for the very first time. 
He stays there briefly. About two years later, in 55 AD, he comes back to Ephesus. He comes back to Ephesus and he spends two years there founding and grounding this church that now would have this incredible reach throughout all of the area. It was called Asia Minor in that time, or um, today it's modern-day Turkey. Uh, but throughout all of that, that region, now don't think that that was an easy task. Uh, you'll see a big chunk of Scripture in your notes. And uh, I just have it there for your reference, but I want to just um, give you, I'm going to just tell you the story real quick. And it is, what's happening is when God is beginning to do this work through the Apostle Paul in the city of Ephesus, people start creating a bit of a ruckus. And that is that there's a guy named Alexander who's a coppersmith. He gets all the other coppersmiths together and they have like a little, you know, union or something. And, uh, and he says to them, he says, you know that we worship the goddess Diana and you know that our living is based on creating these little statues of Diana for other people to worship. But this guy, Paul, everywhere he goes, people stop worshiping the false gods and start worshiping his God. And so we've got to put an end to this. And they create such a commotion that they leave this meeting and they get the whole city riled up to where they go from that meeting into the amphitheater there in Ephesus, which the um, ruins of it are still there today. It, that, that amphitheater, I want you to understand, the theater sat 25,000 people, which is about 50% larger than the Bank Atlantic Center, about 50% larger than uh, the American Airlines Arena. I mean, this was a huge facility. And what they did was is that the people in there, they were so riled up that for two straight hours, the people of Ephesus shouted one sentence for two hours, great is Diana of the Ephesians. And so there was just total madness of this whole thing. So you've got to understand the kind of place that Paul is walking into. But here's the thing, in the midst of all of this false worship and false gods and all of this, you know, weird sex involving worship and all this kind of stuff. And in the midst of all of that, God was building a church, a group of people who were rethinking what they had thought about God, a group of people that had no real understanding of the true and living God that were coming into relationship with him. And they were learning who God really is, what walking with God really means. And so now the year is about 63 A.D., The Apostle Paul is in prison. He's chained to a Roman guard waiting to get his day in court in front of Caesar. And so he's sitting there waiting. And what he does is he starts thinking through and he says, I need to write a letter to these Ephesians because it's been years since I've seen them. And so he sits down and he writes this letter, the, the letter that we're going to read. And he writes it to them. And what he's going to do is remind them, remind them to continue to, 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 to follow in what it is that they had learned. That because Ephesians, this book, is about changing the way that you think. Because that's what happened to them. They, they changed the way that they thought about God, what they thought about marriage, what they thought about family, what they thought about walking with God, about work, about salvation, all of these things. And so what Paul does in this letter of Ephesians, as he opens it, is he starts by sharing what I believe are three amazing truths about God that shatter what many of us have previously believed about Him. You see, in that culture, in that time, and in this culture, in this time, many believed that God was this. He was a vengeful, distant deity that didn't want really anything personal. He didn't want to have any kind of personal relationship with us. But here's what happens. Paul comes on the scene and starts talking about God as a father. That he's our father. And it caused everyone to rethink their notion of God because father is personal. Father is right here. Father is right now. And it caused them to rethink. It caused them to, 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 to change the way that they lived because it changed the way that they thought. 
And so listen, that's what's being asked today, of us today. Because we cannot begin to mine the depths of, of the book of Ephesians that we're going to spend you know, the next couple of months looking at until we have an understanding of, of who God is, that He is a Father to us, that He cares for us, loves us, and is concerned about us. So I want to share with you three statements that you may have never really thought about God. Or three statements that maybe you have thought, but maybe not in this way. And here's what I can promise you, is that by the end of this study, my hope is that we will know God for who He really is. So Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the first truth that I want to share with you this morning. And that is that God wants to direct your life. God wants to direct your life. You see, many times we think that God is impersonal or that God is kind of playing hard to get with what he to explain to us what he really wants us to do. And here's what I want to share with you is that God really does want to direct us. Uh, last Saturday, my kids woke up and Mia, because my daughter has a flair for the dramatic, uh, she doesn't ask for pancakes. Uh, she says, um, you know, can we can, she says, Poppy, can I have some famous flying flapjacks? That's what she asks for. Uh, and I said, sure, you can. Uh, I'd be happy to tell your mom to make some for you because I don't know how to make them. So Carrie said, sure. And so they're cooking together. And then um, as they're getting the pancakes, I- I'm feeding my son Alexander. And I hear Carrie saying to Mia, now, Mia, when we pour the batter into the pan, don't touch the pan because it's really hot. OK, mommy. And she gets closer. Mia, don't touch the pan. OK, sure enough, Mia touches the pan. Right about then is where the screaming happened. Um, she starts screaming. We put ice on it. Um, and then she didn't want ice. She says, I want blueberries. And that's because we have frozen blueberries. And so she puts the frozen blue, the package of frozen blueberries on her hand. That doesn't work. I want strawberries. So she comes out, she puts the frozen strawberries on it. And then she said that, then she says, mommy, try something else. And, uh, so then she put, Carrie puts like a little spray on there and doesn't do anything. And then she turns to me like crying. Her eyes are puffy. And she says, Bobby, will you try something to help me? And, you know, my heart just breaks. And I said, Mia, I'll do something for you and I, I, I'll be right back. So I go to Publix, uh, which is I live like across the street from a Publix. And so I get there and I uh, talk to the pharmacist and I said, my daughter just burned her hand. What can I put on there? And I, she said, have you tried ice? And I said, I tried that's not working. I need something else. And uh, and she goes, well, so she gives me this spray can of this stuff called little ouchies. And I thought that sounds scientific enough. Uh, so I bought it. I brought it home and I just sprayed the little ouchies on her. She's like, oh, Papi, I feel so much better. I think the balloon and the cupcakes helped too, um, that I got her. And um, so I get all of that, right? And here's the thing. And this is the thing that happens, is that just like a parent who loves, like just like parents who love their children, God wants to lead our lives and direct our lives away from the things that will burn us, away from the things that will cause needless pain into our lives. But we've got to be willing to hear it. You see, what happens is this, is that sometimes we think of God speaking to us and we think it's the voice of a condo commando that's trying to ruin our fun. But instead, it's not that. It's the voice of a loving parent who's concerned with our present and with our future. Now, here's why I say that. It's because Paul opens his letter and he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Now, the thing that's amazing about Paul saying that he's an apostle, if you're not familiar with what that term means, an apostle literally in Greek means a sent one. Someone who was sent out. Um, and so in his case, he's sent out to start a, a church or a group of churches. 
but it's, some, it's an official term of someone who is commissioned by someone else to be their representative. And so, um, but for Paul to say that he's an apostle of Jesus by the will of God, that was like, for some people who knew Paul, that was a little bit more than they could bear. Because they're like, you know, Paul, you used to kill Christians for a living, right? That's what he used to do. In fact, um, in your notes, I have Acts 22. Let me read it to you. This is what Paul said about himself. He said this. He said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, brought up in this city. Under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers, and I was just as zealous for God as many as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way, that is Christians, to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. But something happened in Paul's life. Paul's life was radically changed. He began to rethink who Jesus is, and that changed his life forever. And now he's an apostle and he says that I'm an apostle not because I decided, but it's it's the will of God. You see, one of the questions that Christians struggle with is what's God's will for my life? What is God's will in this situation? What does God want me to do? And sometimes we become so obsessed with what it is that we want God to do that we start thinking, well, God, well, because we think it's so mysterious and we think, well, God will reveal it to us in the clouds or God will like spell it out in our cereal. Or God will like send us a magic eight ball that we can know what it is that he wants us to do. And here's the deal about God's will. This is the bottom line about God's will. This is why some people understand what God wants them to do and why some people don't understand why God wants them to do. And here's what it is, is that God does not give us his will for our consideration. He does not give us his will so that we will take it under advisement. God gives us his will for our cooperation. And that's why the best thing that we can do when it comes to knowing what God wants us to do about a future decision that we're not sure about is to obey God in the present of what we already do know that God wants us to do. Because the more that we obey God and what we know he wants us to do, the more we will understand the ways of God. The more we understand the ways of God, the easier it is for us to discern and know what it is that God wants us to do. That's exactly what Paul did. Paul did this because he was a Jewish teacher. He was a Jewish teacher and he became a Christian. I mean, how do you like apply for at a church for that? Like, you know, hey, I'm putting my resume. I'm Paul. So, Paul, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I used to kill you guys, but I'm not doing that anymore. I don't know. You guys have any need for like an assassin or something around here? You know, well, not really. Um, and so but, so what happens? Paul knew that what, he was a Jewish teacher, he becomes a Christian. He knew that God had called them to reach those who were far from God and those who were not Jewish those who were Gentile. But here's what he didn't know. When? So you know what he did? He started preparing himself. He spent three and a half years in the desert. And then he went back to the place that God had called him to in Damascus where he came to know Jesus. And then you know what he did? He went home. He went back to Tarsus of Cilicia where he was from. And some say he spent upwards of ten years just waiting, preparing himself for the time that God would call him. And you know what happened? Here's what happens is that around that, you know, about 10 year mark, someone shows up in Tarsus, a guy by the name of Barnabas. And this guy, Barnabas, was another apostle, another preacher, another pastor. And he says, hey, I'm going on this missionary journey. I'm going on this journey to strengthen the churches that are already established. But then we're going to start brand new churches in areas where there aren't any churches. And he says, so how, how do you feel about coming with me? And that's how Paul got his start as a leader. He knew that God had called him, but he didn't know when. And so as simple as that, 
He did what he knew. And that is, he says, I know God's called me, but I don't know when. So I'm going to spend my time preparing. And so he spends his time preparing. And I put the passage in Galatians for you to be able to read it on your own later, where he says that he just, you know, he, 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 he prepared himself. He went to Arabia. He went to Damascus and then he waited. And that's the thing, my friends. If you're unsure of what step to take, start obeying God in the things that you already know that you want him, that he wants you to do. And the decisions begin to get easier. And sometimes we think that God is just playing hard to get when it comes to revealing his will. Listen, that's not what a loving father does. A loving father doesn't play hard to get when it comes to revealing his will. But you know what he does do? He's not trying to do this to, to wear them out, to wear us out. A loving father does it to draw us in, to draw us closer. That's why in Jeremiah chapter 29, it's in your notes, the Bible would say, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Start doing the things that you know God wants you to do now. And you know what happened? You search for him with all of your heart. And guess what? The Bible says you'll find him. And when you do, he'll begin to change the very core of your being. Well, then in verse three, Paul goes on and shares what could be some of the most important truths in all the Bible. He says this in verse three. He said, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Christ Jesus to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the second truth that I want to share with you. Not just that God wants to direct your life, but number two, that God really desires to bless you. He really desires to bless you. Now, let me ask you this question. How many of you, whether it's Christmas, uh, you know, birthday, something, you've gotten a really bad gift before, a gift that you've hated? Maybe some of you have already experienced that this morning on Father's Day. But you got a gift and you're like, wow, I really hate this. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. Um, but we've all, I think we've all had that. I've had several. I tend to be a magnet for such things. Um, but the worst is, is when somebody says that they love you and then they give you like a really horrible gift. And um, the, one Christmas, um, Carrie's aunt gave us this. Uh, she gave us a Christmas gift and we opened it. And it was this glass Santa boot. Now, I want you to think about that. Like, I don't know when you think of my family, you say they would love a glass Santa boot. That just seems so like them. Um, uh, and so they gave us this uh, this glass Santa boot. I mean, what do you do with something like that except smash it? Um, but so but I but I, I had something special planned for this. So I took it and I put it in the box. Now, what box is that? Now, we have a box in our house. That's the re-gift box. And that is that we, we get stuff that we don't like. Um, we put it in a box. And then when we have to give gifts to like people that we don't know that well, um, we b- bless them uh, with with one of those gifts. Um, or as you like, as we like to say, we like to pass them off to unsuspecting victims. Um, and so but here's the thing. I don't know why it happened. I don't know if I was just going through a bad time in my life, but that boot really got under my skin. And it just I was just like, you know, I've had it with the bad gifts, especially from from your aunt. And so. I said, um, so I, she said, what do you want to do with this? I said, just leave it in the box. I have something special prepared. And uh, so the next Christmas comes around, and I don't really wrap very many gifts. My wife is like the professional wrapper, not in like the M&M kind of way, but just like wrapping gifts. Uh, she's, uh, I, I, in the last service, I said, I said that kind of by accident, and I said, you know, I'm like run DMC, and people are like, who? 
You know, it's just, you know, anyway, I felt very old, you know, but it's tricky. Anyway, um, you guys, good. You got that. Um, it's too many jokes. It's too many jokes. Um, you know, people say to me, they're like, man, you really say a lot up there. And I say, you have no idea how much I'm restraining myself when I'm talking up here. Um, but here's what happened. So the next year, um, I, I said to her, I said, I want the Santa boot and I will wrap it myself. So I wrap it, right? And, um, and, and I gave it back to Carrie's aunt the next year as a Christmas gift. It was awesome. Because I was there when she opened it, and it was like, love, Bob, and Carrie. You know? And, uh, and she opened it, and she was like, wow, I love this. And I was like, you know you love it. And, uh, and I'm telling you, uh, for, I told Carrie, I'm like, first, best Christmas ever. I had more Christmas spirit in that year than I've ever had. And uh, so now I'm just mailing it in at Christmas. But back then I was like hardcore, like especially when I was given that gift. Um, but here's the thing. Sometimes when it comes to being blessed, that's what we think about what God does. Like we say, God, you know, if you could just bless me with this or, or and, and sometimes it's not even like a material thing. It's like a, something that we really need. And we think like I'm going to pray for something and God's going to give me something that I don't really want. Um, and, and you say, well, you know, uh, you know, it's like when I was in Bible college, I, I would say that, that like the students would say that, you know, I'm praying for a spouse and they, I feel like if I pray too much, God's going to give me the gift of celibacy. Um, and so I, I want to be careful. And um, and so what, what happens is this. And this, this is something that you may not realize. And that is that God really does want to bless you. He really does uh, w- want to bless you. Why? Because that's what a loving father does. In your notes. In Matthew chapter 7, it says this. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or which of you, if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? He says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much then will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? You see, so God does want to bless you, but I want to take this even a step further. Not only does God want to bless you, but check this out. God already has blessed you. I don't know if you notice what he says in verse 3 of Ephesians 1 when he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. God has already blessed us. And that's why, like, I want you to think about that. That means that everything that you and I need to live the way God wants us to live, to live the very best possible life, God has already given it to us. He's not holding out. He's not holding back. He has given it. So if you and I say, God, I, I just I, I'm praying that you give put more love in my heart. I want you to get, make me a more loving person. Here's the thing that God would speak to us and say, hey, guess what? I've already given it to you. Listen to what the Bible says it's in your notes in Romans chapter five, verse five. He says, and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which he gave to us. If you say maybe you're experiencing some turmoil in your life. And you say. God, I, I need your peace. I need peace in my life. I need your peace. Here's what God would say to us. I've already given it to you. Here's what Jesus would say. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Therefore, let not your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. If we say, God, I, I feel apathetic. I'm, I'm discontent. With how, what I want is happiness and joy in my life. Guess what? You're probably getting the hang of this. And that is, he'd say, I've already given it to you. Look at what he says in John. Jesus says in John fifteen eleven. He says, I told you this so that your joy. 
so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Another translation says that your joy may be full to overflowing. So the question is, if God has already given me these blessings, if he's already given me love and he's already given me peace, he's already given me joy, why don't I experience it? Why is it that I come asking God for something that he's already given me? The same reason that we don't experience what God says he's already given to us is the same reason why my daughter asks me to buy her toys that she already owns. Um, Sometimes my daughter will watch a TV show and she'll say, Papi, can you get me that? And so I'll say, you already have it. I'll go into her bedroom, I'll go into this massive toy box that she has, and I'll pull it out. She'll say, Papi, you bought it for me. It was already here. You know, I bought it for you, but like a year ago, it's, it's, it's in the box. And listen, it's the same reason. She just forgets. And the reason that we're asking God for stuff that we already have is, listen, is because we forget. And when my daughter comes to me, what a loving father does is reminds her of what she already has. And our heavenly father, when we ask him for it, he says, listen, I've already given it to you. Then, and, and, and it's like we, we already have it within us because God has already given it to us. That's why it's in your notes here in Second Peter chapter 1. Peter writes these words. He says, his divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Don't you think about that, what that verse says. It says that we have everything that we need for life and godliness, everything that we need to live the way that God wants us to live and to live the best life possible. But how? Here's what he says, through our knowledge of him. And that is the more that we grow in our knowledge of God, the closer that we grow in our experience with God and walking with God, the more we find out what we already have. And not that God wants to bless us, but that God has already blessed us. And then he goes on in verse 7 and says what I believe is probably one of the most mind-boggling truths in all the Bible. Here's what he says. He says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he may gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the last one. This is my favorite one to talk about. And here's what he says. And this is what it is. And that God doesn't just love you. He likes you. God doesn't just love you. He likes you. Let me, let me explain what I mean by that. Sometimes we think that God loves us because, well, God loves everybody, you know. God loves you. God loves me. God's like a giant version of Barney. You know, he just loves everybody. We're all one big happy family. Right. And, and, and yet, you know, there's something different. You know, and here's kind of what we think. We tend to think that it's like, um, you know how some of you are going to have like a big Father's Day thing, you know, at your parents' house. Uh, some of you, you'll think about this the next time that you have like a big family get together, Noche Buena or something like that. You have a big, big family get together. And like every family has one weirdo. Like, and we're friends. We can talk about this openly. Every family has one weirdo. And that is the one person that you love them because they're part of your family. And so you talk to them at their house. But if you saw them in the mall, you'd probably go in the other direction to avoid speaking to them. Uh, right. And it's like every 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 family has one. Now, some of you are thinking like my family doesn't have one. Oh, your family still has one. It's just the weirdo is you. Uh, so. You know. 
It's a little public service announcement for you. Um, but here, here's the thing. A lot of us, a lot of us think that God loves us because God loves everybody. But if that God actually had a choice to love us or not, he wouldn't. And here's what I want you to know. God doesn't just love us. He likes us. God doesn't just love us because he loves everybody. God actually picked you. He chose you. That's what verses 4 and 5 teach us. That's what verse 11 teaches us. Let me read it to you. In verse 4, I put it there in, in your notes. You can read it as well. But he says, just as he chose us, he chose us. Verse 5 says that he predestined us to adoption. Verse 11 says, in him we have obtained an inheritance being predestined by him. You see, God chose us according to foreknowledge and election. And you might think, here's what happens. Sometimes we think that we came to this church and that when an invitation was given, that we responded to the gospel and and that we chose God. And from an earthly perspective, that is what it looks like. But if you can step back and get a heavenly perspective, you know what you'd, you'd find? Is that we made a decision to follow Jesus. But you know what you'd also see? Is that God chose us. And our response to the gospel was simply in effect to the cause of God choosing us. You see, the Bible teaches us that if if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, that he chose you. It was his decision. The Bible says in uh, John John chapter 1, it says this, it says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of the will of God. You see, sometimes, and here's what we think, especially, and sometimes this can kind of like go to our head and we think, you know, God chose me because I'm pretty awesome. That's why. And here's, you know, um, we think of it like this, like when you were in school and you had, um, you guys were going to play a game, you're going to play baseball, kickball or something, and you say, all right, let's pick two captains, and you get two captains. And then you start getting chosen, and obviously the people that get chosen first are the people that are the best players. And then you get all the way to the bottom and you know what happens. You get to like the last person and that guy doesn't even get chosen. He's like, well, I guess you're with us. You know, just stay in the back and don't mess anything up. Um, and we think, this is what we think. Well, if God chose us, it must be because I'm really awesome. And, that, you know, because we, you pick the people that are the best. But here's what the Bible teaches. That God didn't pick us because of how good we are. God didn't pick us because of, you know, how great he thinks that we would become. The Bible says that he picked us according to what the scriptures teach, according to the riches of his grace. Now, that is just an absolute like powder keg of a verse that can just like explode into our hearts and lives. And if we can understand it, I'm telling you that it just changes the game. And here, here's what I mean, because which is, well, it's according to his riches, uh, to, to the riches of his grace. So it's just like you know, God is very rich in grace. And so he gives us some grace. But God chooses us according to the riches of his grace. But there's a difference between giving something, giving someone something out of our riches as it is to give some, something to someone according to our riches. Let me explain it this way. Uh, some of you know that when before I we came and started this church that I used to run a college. Um, and so when I was running the college, I got a phone call. Uh, this is, you know, back in 1997, 1998. And I got a phone call from a guy who said he wanted to donate a computer to our school. Now, this was a really exciting thing because we didn't have, um, like people were obviously using computers, but in 1997-98, not everybody had one. And so we had a lot of students that didn't have a computer. They were able, they knew how to use one, but they didn't have one. 
um, at their disposal. So having like a, a little, you know, computer lab would have been a great thing. So he wanted to donate one to kind of get the thing rolling. So I was very excited. Now, I was excited because this guy was pretty wealthy. So I thought that he was going to give us like a really rocking machine, you know. Like I thought, man, if he could give us one of those 586 machines that just came out. Woo. I was running on a 486, but man, a 586, like Pentium, Intel, Dual, that stuff didn't even exist. I mean, we were like one step above, like a little gerbil powering the uh, computers. I mean, that's kind of where we were. And so anyway, so he gets there and he comes to drop off the computer. And I've been waiting all day because I'm so excited. and I've kind of built this up in my mind as to what it's going to be. And when he shows up, he shows up with this like giant computer that looks like it came out of the Pentagon during the Carter administration. And I'm like, what is that? And uh, he's like, oh, this is the computer I was talking about. And uh, mind you, the, comu- the thing took up the entire desk. It had a, like a four-inch screen, right? It's like not that, the screen was not that much bigger than like an iPhone screen. Not, but, you know, so it's like, the, you know, the, the screen is this big. I turn it on. By the way, that first time I turned it on was the only time it ever turned on. So I turn it on. And mind you, it was 1997 or so. Windows 98 hadn't come out yet. Um, so people were using Windows 95. Older computers were using Windows 3.1. This had a Windows prototype. Like when they were just starting, like, hey, we have an idea. How about this thing called Windows? And uh, it was a Windows prototype. I mean, it was the biggest piece of junk you could possibly imagine. And uh, it never worked after that. And it just, we just used it as a paperweight. And then we made fun of it. That's it. And so it just became like the, the butt of our jokes. And um, now here's the thing. This is the thing that's important. You got this, you got this wealthy guy, and he decides to give this, 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 Gift, this bless, bless us with this gift, right? He decides to give us that, but here's what it is. He gave us that out of his riches. It was out of everything that he had that he gave to us. Now, if he was going to give to us according to his riches, he would have given us a fleet of computers to be able to use. Why? Because there's a difference between giving out of your riches and giving according to. And here's the thing that's important. When God chose us, he says, I've chosen you out of the riches of my grace. Because God was looking for people that he could shower with grace. People that, he could, that could become the object of his love. That's why the Bible says, you know, uh, there weren't that many noble people. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. God didn't choose like the, 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 the wealthy, the high and mighty. Instead, God chose the foolish things of the world to, con- to confound the wise. To just people say, that doesn't even make any sense. And so what happens is, is that God chooses us so that we could become the object of his love, the object of his grace, the object of his forgiveness. And so we experience forgiveness and redemption and grace because it's given according to the riches, the vast riches of his grace. That God is so absolutely gracious and so just loaded with grace and mercy and love that he's willing to forgive us and allow us to be the object of his grace. And so here's what happens. This is the question that comes up. Well, if God chooses me, does that mean he rejects somebody else? Now, here's the thing that's important to note, because there's a lot of teaching out there that says, well, God chose you and then he just, you know, created all these other people to just go to hell. And, uh, you know, if if you understand um, the heart of God, you know that that's not the case. But instead, listen, God elects, but he doesn't reject. Now, people can choose to reject him, but he elects, but he doesn't reject. And so I I was having a conversation one time. This is years ago with a guy who wasn't a Christian, and he heard me talk about this whole thing about how God chooses us. And he said, um, so God, um, so God, choo- God chose you. And he says, but did God choose me? 
And I said, why don't you come to Jesus and you can be elect too. You can be chosen as well. He said, well, maybe I don't want to come to Jesus. I said, maybe you weren't chosen. He goes, huh? And I said, yeah, you know, if you come to Jesus, then you're, it's obvious that God chose you. If you don't come to Jesus, he didn't choose you. But what if I'm not sure that I want to come to Jesus? I said, maybe I'm not sure if he chose you or not. And so, you know, we kind of had this little back and forth thing. And, and, and here's what it is. And, and um, the, 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 the key is this. I want to share something that I think is so important about um, the thing that's so important for us to understand is that God doesn't just love you because he loves everybody. God loves you because he chose you and he picked you to be the object of his grace and the object of his love. And here's here's how I want to explain this. Um, some of you aren't aware of this. Those of you that are like, you know, you're uh, scholastically inclined. You love like grammar and you love English literature and all. You're like weird like that. Um, those of you that are like, you'll love this part. But here, here's the thing. Um, we, we're reading uh, verses three through fourteen. Verses three through fourteen are one sentence in the original language. It's one sentence in Greek. Um, it's actually one sentence in English. But here's what happened: is that the people who translated um, the Bible from Greek to English, they wanted to help us out. So they, they know that we love grammar, and so they added a few commas, they put a couple of periods. But the original language does not have, uh, the original language in this passage does not have any punctuation. It is one glorious run-on sentence. And, uh, and so here's, so imagine, Paul is reading, you know, he just starts, and he says, hey guys, how you doing? It's Paul, you know, greetings. And then he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Just as he just, and then he just starts going off until verse 14. And then he goes, all right, now I feel better. As he just talks about how glorious and grand and amazing God is. But see, sometimes the punctuation that gets, that got added can kind of mess us up. And here's what I mean. In your notes, I put, just in case you don't have your Bible, I put Ephesians 1, verses 4 and 5 to, to illustrate this point. It says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption by, uh, as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. That's all good. That's a great translation. The problem is there's no punctuation. And they added the comma in the wrong place. And so it changes the very nature of what's being said because of the adding of the comma. Now, let me read to you exactly how it's written without the punctuation. And it'll make this point about how much God loves you and me. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. See what happens at the end of verse four that he that they add the in that, that he chose us that we might be holy without blame before him. That should be the end of verse four. But instead, they, they put in love there in love should be at the beginning of verse five. So it says in love, having predestined us because the motivation of God to choose us was his love. And that's why I actually had this conversation with my editor when my last book was being edited and they, she was giving me a hard time about my run on sentences. And um, I said, have you ever read Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14? And she said, yes. And I said, run-on sentences may be bad grammar, but they're in the Bible. And if they're okay with God, they're okay with me, and they should be okay with you. And, uh, and she said, do you know that you've made an argument for run-on sentences with a run-on sentence? And I said, uh, maybe you're right. I'm done talking. And uh, so, But the, the important thing is this. 
is that in love, he chose us in love. He predestined us. Love was the motivation for God choosing us. And can I just tell you this? That is a freeing truth if you can accept it. It's a freeing truth if you can embrace it. And the day you understand that, I'm telling you, it changes the game. It changes everything. And it shows that you are valued by God and loved by God. And that it's not just some generic kind of love, but you're loved with a father's love. You're loved with the kind of love that God chose you and adopted you and said, I have chosen this person to be the object of my mercy, my grace and my love. That God's love is not generic. It's very, very specific. And that he loves you personally. And that he doesn't just love you, he likes you. One of the girls on our staff uh, just had a baby last week. And uh, we, uh, yeah, it's great. And um, we, um, so Carrie and I and the kids, we went to the hospital to go, to go see her and um, bring them a gift and all that. And, and uh, what was cool is she gave birth in the same hospital that, that Carrie did both times. And so we were able to walk by the room that Carrie, both rooms that, that Carrie gave birth, gave birth in for both of our kids. And um, and so I was showing Mia, like, you know, that you were born right there, right? Right. That's right. That's right where you were born. And she was she's like, wow, that's amazing. And um, and, and, you know, when when uh, I have a good friend who's a, who's a pastor, him and I've been friends for, I don't know, 15 years or so. And one of the things that he said to me when he found out that that Carrie was pregnant, he said, uh, he said, listen, Bob, the day that 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 little girl is born, um, it's going to change. It's going to change everything. It's going to change your relationship with God. Because you're, the way that you love those kids is you're going to realize how much God loves you. And, uh, and I understood what he said, and I, I don't even know how, how serious I took him. And I tried to, you know, I theologically understand the love of God because, you know, love is to be understood theologically, uh, not experienced. And uh, that's a joke, by the way. And, um, and so what happened was this, is that I remember when my daughter was born. And I remember holding her in my arms for the very first time. And I just said to myself, I said, now I understand. Now I understand and how it just changes everything. That I began to see God for who he really is. That he is a loving, heavenly father. And listen, if you're here and you're a parent, you know that you love your kids more than anything else in the world and you would do anything for them. And you would gladly lay down your life if that was what was required of you. And that's the moment. When I, when I held that little girl in my arms and when I held my son in my arms for the first time, that's when I realized that that's the kind of passionate, fatherly love that God has for me and that God has for you. And that that's why God, knowing that our relationship with Him was set, was severed because of sin, that's why God did the only thing that a father would do. He didn't require more of us. Instead, the eternal God became man and died in our place because that's what a loving father does. And listen, if you want to understand the ways of God and you want to understand God, then we have to understand that we have to understand what it means to be a father, what it means to be a dad, because that's who God is. And dads, um, let me just I'm, I'm just about done. Let me, let me just say this to you real quick and speak to, to the dads specifically. Um, dads, your kids are deciding what they believe about God right now. If you're if your kids are at home, let me share this with you. Um, they are modeling who they believe God to be. The way that they relate to God is, is because of you. The, you're giving them the picture of who they will believe God to be. More than any other person on this planet, 
their dad is telling them and explaining to them who God is. Jesus modeled this for us. He modeled this for us perfectly. That's why his disciples, when they asked him, Jesus, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And he says, hey, listen, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I've modeled him for you. Oh, may that be said of us. Let me say one more thing. Maybe you're here and um, I I recognize that Father's Day can be a difficult day for many people. Um, Because maybe you never had a dad. Or maybe you had a dad, but he was never around. Or worse, your dad was around, but he was abusive. Um, and the thought of God as, as a father, I mean, and just in a moment of honesty, you would say that really frightens me. Um, let me first, let me say that I am so sorry. I'm so sorry that that happened to you. That that was not how, what God designed. That's not the way it was meant to be. God's design is that there would be a dad and that there would be a mom and that they would love their kids unconditionally and that they would never leave them and never forsake them and that they would train them in what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman and that they would teach these kids, their kids to walk with God and to make a difference in this world. But the other thing, and this is the thing that's so important, that this is where you live right here, um, and that is that God is not just a bigger version of your dad. He's not. It's how we relate to God. It's what we think about God because that's what was modeled to us. But God is not a bigger version of your dad. God is not a reflection of your earthly father. Instead, he is the perfection of everything your earthly father could not be. And listen, if you don't know him, if you don't know God, my encouragement to you would be to choose him. Because if you do, you'll find out he's already chosen you. And you invite him into your life, and you know what God will do? He will prove to you that that's not who he is. That he is a loving father and the, perfect, the perfection of everything that your earthly father was not. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for the fact that you are a loving father. That you loved us so much. That God, you became a man and suffered and died so that we might have a relationship with you. Lord, thank you. Thank you for choosing us that we might be the objects of your grace and love. Thank you for desiring to lead us. Thank you for being with us, for promising to never leave us or forsake us. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.